folks, do you feel like everything these days is go, go, go? It's nonstop from work to friends to family and a million pressing issues. Sometimes you just need to take a playoff and hit the reset button. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. Hey, it's that time of year in Minnesota again to get out on the lake, go to the cabin, sit back, watch some baseball. Coors Light is the perfect refreshment to chill during these summer months. There's only one beer out there that's made to chill. The mountains on the bottles and cans turn blue when your beer is cold, and that way you know it's time to chill. Hit that reset button with some mountain cold refreshment. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's literally made to chill. It's crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. Coors Light is the one you should choose when you need to unwind. When you want to hit the reset button, reach for the beer that is made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado, and as always, celebrate. Welcome to another episode of Purple Insider presented by Scout Logistics and Symbol, your stock market for sports. Matthew Collar along with Sam Ekstrom here again. And Sam, I wrote for our website, purpleinsider.com, about how much the Vikings have improved by the Pro Football Focus Improvement Index. And we had Kevin Cole on the show the other day to talk about how the Improvement Index works. So you can go back and find that if you missed it. But I wanted to get your opinion on what I wrote, breaking down further the chart that shows the Vikings 23rd right now in wins above replacement improvement. But at the same time, there's some things Things that are not factored in there and other NFC teams that have dropped big time in terms of the Detroit Lions. So give me your broad reaction to whether the Vikings are in a better spot as we speak right now before their next big signing, which we still think is coming, even though T.Y. Hilton is now off the board and Jadavion <laughs> Clowney is visiting other teams. Uh, but give me your broad reaction to that. Yeah, yeah. It, you know, first of all, I don't think a lot of people think of war in football terms. That's usually like a baseball word, but I think it's it's really well laid out. And and Kevin Cole, you know, helps provide some really important context here. I think to what teams are accomplishing, and you know, in some cases, like the teams that spend a lot of money, like the Patriots, they're obviously at the top. They are clear number one most improved team. Um, and, and then, you know, teams that were in cap hell, like the Saints, they are like by far at the bottom, you know, just below the Detroit Lions. Um, what, what strikes me is that the NFC North is not doing very well, other than the Chicago Bears, who have technically improved, but still don't really have a solidified quarterback situation. It's Vikings down Packers down and the Packers I don't think have brought in any free agents at all other than their own guys Um, and the Lions obviously way down kind of starting over in Detroit but I found it interesting as well that by the formula Patrick Peterson basically a net even like 0.01 war added 0.01 one hundredth of a point Dalvin Tomlinson 0.11 and I know we're not dealing with huge numbers here, but what's striking is the Anthony Harris sub- subtraction, almost half of a war, 0.46. That's a player that we've talked about. We talked about on yesterday's show how 
I was maybe a little bearish on like whether they should even bring him back just because I didn't love, I didn't love the way he played. He was aging a little bit, it seemed, but granted he had been with the, with the team for a long time. He'd had some really good years and he had that chemistry with Harrison Smith on the back end. So that seems to be a more significant loss than maybe people are letting on, at least from an analytical standpoint. And I, I think it contextualizes the Patrick Peterson, um, the Patrick Peterson acquisition as probably not that impactful on paper. Um, I think there's probably like a, if there's a range, there is a, a good high ceiling there, but um, yeah, it doesn't paint a great picture for the Vikings, man. So let me just contextualize some of those numbers. A quarterback who has a good year can be worth two to three wins over replacement, if not even more, if you have an unbelievable year. And most other positions are not really close to a full win. I mean, think about how many players equal a full win in the NFL. If you took them away, you would drop a whole win. There aren't that many. Um, let's say Justin Jefferson's performance was probably worth another whole win for the Vikings last year. And I was looking through the corners, and what's really interesting there about the Patrick Peterson number, which is that he was basically replacement level last season for Arizona, is that he was worth six-tenths of a win in 2018, which is one of of his better years recently and Xavier Rhodes he was a guy that was below replacement level in 2019 and then worth seven tenths of a win in 2020 which I think shows you the volatility of that position but the two topics that you touched on I want to get more in depth here Anthony Harrison and, and his loss a key stat that I sort of stumbled across as I was looking into this, because I was very interested to see why his wins above replacement would have been as high as it is, why PFF would be projecting him as a big loss, uh, considering he was only a mid-pack safety by their grades, is that he only allowed 27 attempts and 15 catches into his coverage. The worst in the NFL at safety allowed 70 attempts and 57 catches into their coverage. So even though there were some big plays and four touchdowns allowed by Anthony Harris last year and he did not have an interception, I think there's also that element of people not throwing at you matters and is worth something too. And also a guy who was very, very healthy. I don't ever recall a time where Anthony Harris had to miss games. And that's a big deal because if you're missing games, then whoever they even bring in here, you're talking about playing Josh Metellus or whoever else they bring in from the draft, as opposed to having a good starter. And there's a lot of value in that. So that matters and is baked into the equation as well. But what do you think they do with this safety position? I think the odds are that over the next few weeks, they end up signing someone. But at a lot of different positions, players are coming off the board here and the Vikings are sitting on the sidelines and we're sitting here wondering, hey, what's going on with this a little extra cap space? What's going on with the Nick Vigil press conference, which still hasn't happened? I mean, like there, something's got to happen here. And I think that safety is the next domino to fall for the Vikings or I, because I, if they mess around with this position, I think what those numbers show us is that could be a big mistake. Yeah, I have to agree. And and I think that when you see Anthony Harris go for one year, 5 million and Keanu Neal go for one year, 4 million, those are two of the options toward the top of the market. And obviously, you know, John Johnson, gets paid big bucks, Rayshon Jenkins. There were big contracts out there, but beyond the top two, um, six million annual value was the highest safety deal out there. I don't think anybody's going to sign for for more than that. So 
you know, Deron Harmon is a target that both of us have written about during this this pre-free agency period that I think we both love. He's got Patriots pedigree, spent one year with Detroit, but he would complement Harrison Smith really well. Uh, you've touched on, you know, Malik Hooker and 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 the old uh, the old friend Andrew Sendejo is still available. I mean, I don't know what you make of Sendejo. I, I think there probably is some inherent value in organizational knowledge, and that's what Sendejo would bring to the table. You know, they the last time they brought him back, he he kind of fit in pretty well again. Like in 2019, he played in that playoff game moved to nickel and was awesome like he performed so well um and he hasn't necessarily fit in great in those other stops like philadelphia and i it seemed like cleveland browns twitter couldn't stand him from from what i saw but there's something about the system knowledge that that does have value so i don't know if sendejo is an option i think you can probably do better you can probably go a little younger and, and spend a million or two more dollars but i i they're not going to play Josh Metellus week one next year. That doesn't make any sense. I mean, that, that would just fly in the face of everything that they've sort of stood for at safety. They've always gone with, with veterans and they've appreciated the continuity there. So I think that probably is one of the dominoes that has to fall because as we've, we've heard, they've opened up a little more cap space with that Anthony Barr restructure. So they have some money to throw around and um, I don't think it's going to cost them more than a couple million dollars. Do you? Um, no, I, I don't. I think that if they pay about the same amount as Anthony Harris got for Philadelphia for someone like Deron Harmon, that they're in good shape, or Xavier Woods from Dallas, who had a down year last year, but everyone with Dallas had a down year last year, and two years ago he was quite good. So there's options there on the free agent market. Uh, Andrew Sandejo would be a guy that I would give one year, one million to, and have him be a backup and play special teams. I think that would be good. And then you have someone who is a backup for your safety position. This is something that they really failed at last year was just finding reasonable backups. They tried to bring in George Iloka. He had to briefly play and it did not work out very well for one game. And then he tore his ACL. And I know that there's a thought out there that you can put anybody next to Harrison Smith and they will be fine. That, that he just makes that guy's job so easy that, Hey, he'll shine. But I don't, think that's really true. I, I think that what they've had with Sendejo and Anthony Harris is continuity and guys who knew exactly what their jobs were and knew the defense so well and also developed that came in as special teams players and then grew and improved and got better over time. But early Sendejo was kind of a liability and it hurt them at times. And almost anytime anybody else has had to go in there other than Andrew Sendejo or Anthony Harris, it has not been good. And Anthony Harris, I mean, he had to make those interceptions. Like, he was a legit playmaker on the football. The interception he had in that same playoff game against the Saints is an mm -hmm. A-plus type of pick. And he was still making plays on the ball last year. He had seven passes defended. He just didn't have any interception luck. Uh, I don't know that that is easy to come by either. So I think that if you have someone like those guys who are kind of hovering around average, and maybe in Harris's case above average for two seasons, you're in really good shape playing next to Harrison Smith. 
but Harrison Smith can't make you magic. And I think that there was some process last year where they thought Harrison Smith would cover up for all the cornerbacks too. And we saw that that wasn't true. In fact, we heard that Mike Zimmer and um, Adam Zimmer and Andre Patterson, they talked to us on a weekly basis about how all oh, these experienced safeties, they'll make all the corners better. And they didn't. Chris Jones wasn't better. So if you end up with a Chris Jones version next to Harrison Smith, you might be in a lot of trouble. I would say get two of them if you can, um, one of them for a very cheap price or, you know, draft somebody who might have the ability to step in right away if they are called upon. But I don't think, Sam, that this is a position that they draft in the first round and hope that player is a starter. And when you're in the third round, you really shouldn't be doing that. So I would expect a signing here. Yeah, I think you're right. And and at least have a signing around to mentor and supplement a draft pick if you go that route. Isn't it kind of weird that the Vikings have Marcus Epps regret? Marcus Epps was like a top 20 safety last year for the Philadelphia Eagles. That That's quickly becoming like the day three pick that got away. I mean, if, if you maybe that's a, spinning it a little too too extra. I don't know if we can go that far, but I mean, PFF had Marcus Epps ranked 13th last season in 13 games. Like it wasn't a tiny sample size, although he was in more of a rotational role, but um, I think someone like Tayshawn Gibson, like who played for the bears last year, he would go for $1 million. I mean, that's what he played for last year. He was extremely serviceable. He ranked 31st. He played over a thousand snaps. I mean, you can wait a little bit. I don't think you need to be knee-jerk about signing this safety. I I would wait it out. I mean, the Vikings have been kind of impatient in free agency so far. I think there needs to be like a serious break pumping and let this market come to you. You don't need to reach. I don't think there's anyone who's good enough to like just – you know, roll out the Brinks truck for and make sure you lock them up right away. I think you you just need to have four or five names in mind and then let it trickle down and filter sort of into your lap. Hey, do we think that Harrison Smith is going to sign a contract extension? Because the way that they did Anthony Barr's contract, and we're going to have Ben Gessling on to kind of explain that for us for our Friday roundtable. Um, but They made a lot of cap space there and did a lot of things they don't usually do, which, as always, kicking the can down the road. But I wonder if Harrison Smith was ready to sign a contract extension if they would have needed to do those things. Now, extensions usually come at training camp, so this isn't their time of year where they generally do those. But in times of desperation, like last year with Kirk Cousins, they will do that to create the cap space. And the fact that it hasn't been done yet is – kind of interesting to me. I don't know if it's interesting to you at all, but I wonder very much what Harrison Smith sees for his future and if he wants to be a Viking for life or if he wants the option if this doesn't go well. I mean, think if they go 7-9-10 and nine slash 10 next year and you know Harrison Smith becomes 34 years old and they change coaches and they change general managers and everything is different and Anthony Barr leaves and all the players basically from the heyday of this defense are gone like doesn't Harrison Smith want to go somewhere else I mean I I wonder if he would leave himself that option I think Harrison Smith is within his rights as a 10-year member of this organization to say I'm at least going to wait and see what you're putting around me on this team. Who am I going to play next to? Who's going to be on this defense? What does the team look like after the draft? 
Secondly, the the Vikings are opening up almost $8 million, it sounds like, after June 1st when that Cal Rudolph money goes off the books. So they can do a lot of their dealing post-June 1st, and they can kind of, you know, manage their free agent signings with what they have existing. Now, if, if Harrison Smith wanted to renegotiate right now and open up another five, six million dollars, yeah, that would help the team. But maybe Harrison Smith doesn't want to, as you alluded. Um, I, I think Harrison Smith is a little tough to read. He doesn't always wear his emotions on his sleeve. He's, he's kind of a reserved guy. And um, that's sort of why he's so beloved in that locker room is because he's so steady and he's really never rocked the boat at all. So I think if there was any rift in, in a contract, it would be a very kind rift. It would be like, I'm going to shake your hand and politely decline this contract extension for now, but we can reopen talks in July, which, as you said, is usually when they, when they do these things. So I don't think it happens um, in the next week or months. Like, I think this is, this is waiting because if the Vikings wanted to make it happen and if Smith was agreeable to that, it, it should have happened before – free agency started so they knew what money they were dealing with it it wouldn't make sense to do it now with most of the capital dried up so I think we're we're probably on Harrison Smith watch in about four months when they report for training camp I just wonder if he has Ed Reed and Eric Weddle in his mind about how those guys were on great defenses for a long time and then things changed and they finished their careers elsewhere. Ed Reed was a Houston Texan, I think, and Eric Weddle went to Baltimore after spending so long with the San Diego Chargers. So is Harrison Smith thinking along the same lines, even Earl Thomas, and it ended up blowing up, but he ultimately left the Seattle Seahawks when they wouldn't do the deal that he wanted. And from a Vikings perspective, if you go to Harrison Smith, and this is why I wonder how these conversations have gone, if you went to Harrison Smith and he said, no, I'm not signing a contract extension, it would be the right play to trade Harrison Smith. But the way that they've handled free agency, there's no way that they're trading Harrison Smith. And so I wonder if we ultimately end up putting this in the bucket of, like, if you took the long approach, you could have blank. Uh, and I know that they don't feel like they're in a position to take the long approach or that they should, but it's just one of those economics things where you like, what's the reward of Harrison Smith next year? It might be high, but he's also of the age where players start to decline. So it's less than it would have been a couple of years ago versus what he's worth. Is there a desperate team with some cap space left that could extend him or even just play him on a one year thing? If they're a Super Bowl contender, I mean, if you are, and I don't know their safety position, but like if you are the Kansas city chiefs, would you give up a draft pick for Harrison Smith? Because every single year for you is we have Patrick Mahomes. We're going to try to win the Super Bowl. Maybe you would consider that. So I wonder if that's on their mind or if they think, no, we really want this player to finish his career here. In recent years, we've seen guys that we thought might finish their careers here, not uh, including Everson Griffin, who you thought, I mean, might be a ring of honor guy and you know, he ends up going. So uh, I also wanted to talk about the NFC North a little bit because on that improvement index chart, it was interesting to me that Chicago was up and I had the thought, I wonder if Andy Dalton is part of the reason why that's up, because even though Mitch Trubisky had a little bit of a run there at the end, including a very good game against the Vikings, 
Andy Dalton probably played better than him last year. And this is, is funny to say, uh, but if their roster is okay even or remotely close to what it was last year, I don't think we can put the Bears in the category of a team that is just automatically awful, automatically 5-11, and 11, automatically 6-10 and 10 because they have Andy Dalton. I, they're probably looking at being about the same as they were with slightly improved play there. And then Kyle Fuller being gone. Maybe you drop off a little bit on defense. You've still got some of the dangerous pass rushers. I, I think that it's very typical kind of a Vikings fans to look at Chicago and say, LOL, they'll be terrible. And then lose one or two games to the Chicago bears as so often happens. Yeah. Can we get Kevin Cole on the line to like itemize how the bears formula worked out? Cause I don't really see how there's, improvement here unless you are you know addition by subtraction with Trubisky because they lose a good player in Roy Robertson Harris they lose a good player in Kyle Fuller and they bring in something called Angelo Blackson and uh and Dion Bush I guess at safety like Andy Dalton was the signing there there's not a lot else happening here so I don't really see how that all works out but when have the Bears ever been dependent on quality of quarterback play to be successful. I mean, we've seen them pull these double-digit win seasons out of their hats for, you know, the past couple decades, whether it's Rex Grossman or, you know, Mitch Trubisky or kind of an average Jay Cutler. Like, it, it's, it, it hasn't always been dependent on the quarterback. It's usually their defense that carries them, and I, I think that's how they could do it again. Um, Andy Dalton still doesn't necessarily strike me as someone who's going to lead them to great heights because in Dallas he had everything like he had a pretty good line he had a bunch of weapons he had an indoor home stadium in Chicago he's not going to have the weapons he's going to have a tougher environment to play and he's in a division with some pretty good edge rushers too with Hunter and Aquara and you know the Smiths and uh, I still don't think in my heart that Chicago has improved their team. But as you point out, that could be, I, I could be wrong. I mean, how can I go against the, uh, the improvement index? Well, it is not uh, a thing that I would say is deep in my soul like you, but uh, I also don't think their roster is any better today. I do think Andy Dalton is better than Mitch Trubisky, though, and he graded quite a bit better. Andy Dalton graded about as well as Jared Goff last year, which you would say, oh, well, Jared Goff wasn't that great last year. Of course not, but he was close to a slightly below average quarterback. Mitch Trubisky graded about the same as Nick Mullins and Sam Darnold and Drew Locke. Like, that's horrible quarterback play even Mm -hmm. and that's with his like finger quote hot run he still ended up grading a 62 by pff andy dalton 69.6 nicely grades there Um, but that was about the same for dalton as ben roethlisberger so if you're doing the wins above replacement replacement projection for pff you're probably saying if he plays over 16 games then he's going to be worth more than Mitch Trubisky was, and Mitch Trubisky really helped them back. I think you make a good point, though, that they're not a scary team at all. They're a team that, if it goes right, they probably end up with nine wins. That's kind of how we've seen them for a while, and they keep making the playoffs instead of the Vikings. That's my only point there. Uh, The Packers not doing anything. 
I'm definitely going to get a Packers guest on soon to talk about all of their inaction. Uh, maybe we'll get like Jason Wildey or uh, Aaron Nagler on. But Ted Thompson is thrilled with it, by the way. Like the late Ted Thompson is smiling down on them at, at how they've retained their guys. Right. That was every free agency for them. They very yeah. rarely made big moves. And the index will say that they went down and Aaron Jones does not move the needle because they already had Aaron Jones. I don't see them getting better, but if you are going from 13 and three, two years in a row and you regress, what is that? 11 wins. I mean, they are still the Vegas favorites to win the NFC North. And I think that they still deserve that because all the bones of that team are there. It's not like they had a new Orleans saints or a 2019 to 2020 Vikings. They haven't improved, but they also haven't fallen off and lost a bunch of players either. No, you're right. I mean, losing Lindsley hurts a little bit. Um, you know, bringing back King, I don't think Kevin King was a dramatic game changer. That's why it's only a one-year deal, but they do keep them. Um, Mercedes Lewis became like a sneaky target for Rodgers along with Tunyon. I mean, that, that tight end room is so anonymous and yet so effective. Um, yeah, it's kind of a net neutral, and it's, it's kind of what they did last year where you you thought, okay, well, there's just no way they're going to go 13-3 and three again. You know, that wasn't a sustainable method. And then, hey, they had the best offense in football, and they nearly went to the Super Bowl. And I, I think we're here um, saying the same thing. Now, if they hadn't done it two years in a row, like if this was just a, a one-off season where they went 13-3, and three, we would probably stick pretty hard to our belief that they're going to regress, just like the law of averages is going to bring them back to the pack. Um, back to the so, pack. Did you do that on purpose? Uh, no, no, I would never sink that low to make an intentional pun of, of that, uh, you know, bottom feeding nature caller. I would have, have more belief in me than that, but you know, it's going to come down to the draft with green Bay because if they're treading water in free agency, um, are they going to find a way to at least move the needle in the draft? Unlike last year where we, we we've had this talk, about whether or not that cost them the NFC championship by not adding one more playmaker that could have gotten them over the hump. I think that argument ended up being a little bit moot because they were really, really, really good. And nobody was talking about the draft anymore when they went 13 and three, but, but still, nonetheless, adding another weapon to Rogers, um, you know, group of playmakers is critical. I mean, and, and that, that applies to like, Life after Rodgers, too. If Rodgers is done in one or two seasons, they still want to have that player there for, for the next guy, whether it's Jordan Love or somebody else. So Green Bay needs to improve in the draft. And if they don't, then I, I think they're still going to be susceptible to just the law of regression. Hey, everybody. want to tell you about our friends at Symbol. Symbol is a new sports marketplace where you can trade shares of professional teams like stocks. So as we jump fully into free agency season, you're going to want to get in on teams now before your team's stock rises. Go to Symbol.app, that is S-I-M-B-U-L-L.app, sign up using the promo code PURPLE and get a $10 deposit bonus if you're a first-time user, and then you are off and rolling. Here's how it works. You buy stocks of your teams, and when your team wins, you earn cash payouts that are instantly deposited. If you sign up for Symbol, you also get updates emailed to you directly with the trends on which teams are on the rise. So check out Symbol.app or follow them on Twitter at Symbol Exchange and check out the marketplace for sports today. 
Folks, the football offseason is off and rolling, and SodaStick has you covered with Minnesota sports-themed gear. Some of my favorite football designs that you have to check out include the Chuck Foreman Spin Doctor gear. You can commemorate Randy Moss's disgusting act on a shirt or a hoodie. And if you're old school, check out the Purple People Eaters design as well. Go to SodaStick.com and check them all out. If you use the promo code PURPLEINSIDER, you can get free shipping on all your Minnesota sports-inspired gear. All of their apparel is screen printed here in Minnesota on super soft, super comfy shirts and hoodies. You will love it. Plus, keep your eyes and ears out for our giveaways going on on this show as well on social media. Follow them at SodaStickCo on Twitter and at SodaStick.com for your original Minnesota sports inspired goods. Code PURPLEINSIDER for free shipping. Yeah, the guy that you don't want them to take if you're the Vikings is someone like Rondale Moore, who could be a playmaker after the catch and just add that extra element because they really don't have that. Their big guy that they would throw to and then he would make plays seemed to be Tunyon last year. That, that, that guy always seemed like he was coming up with the biggest plays at the biggest times, and the other guys are unreliable outside of, obviously, Devontae Adams. Um, so I have another improvement index question and then I promise we'll do something fun because I feel like um, we've talked a lot about the improvement index here on the show but uh, in the let's see I want you to tell me where the improvement index for the Vikings will be in opening week for the Viking you know for the NFL this year and um, opening week of the 2022 season. So will the Vikings have improved as a team from right now till the end of the offseason this year? I'm sorry I'm explaining this poorly. And will they be a better team than right now at the beginning of the 2022 season? Okay. Um, Are you following? I'm sorry. If that's yeah, confusing. no, I am. And and if you could just provide a little more info. So the, the improvement index after the draft, um, do they have, it's, is, do they use college production to project what the war is going to be? Like, how does that work? Yeah. We talked to Kevin about that the other day. That That's a tough one. They, I would say they probably use, I don't know if Kevin actually does it after the draft or if it's just a free agency improvement index because it is so hard to project, but Maybe even if we just take like 50th percentile performance from the draft players from where they're picked. Yeah. Okay. I think they will be on the improvement side because I, I think the reason right now that they are not improved is because of that sort of surprising drop from the Anthony Harris loss. I think they're going to find a way to close the gap on that and then add additional in the draft. So I'm, I'm going to put them up slightly improved because I mean, frankly, they're they're not losing all that much. Like in the end, they're going to have more good pieces, I think, than they've lost good pieces. It's not going to be like 2019 to 2020 where it was a pretty much a net negative. Um, 2022, it, that's still interesting because um, you know the the safety that they might sign, in all likelihood, that's a one year deal. Um, Patrick Peterson is a one year deal. Anthony Barr could get voided. Uh, Harrison Smith could be gone. So, gosh, we've said this like three years in a row. Kind of feels like, you know, a kind of a make or break year where if they don't do well, it all could blow up. And, and I guess, you know, if they, if they end up winning something this season, that probably incentivizes them to try to keep the group intact for the following year. But I would lean toward 
a a lack of improvement leading up to 2022. They're kind of putting a lot of eggs in this season. And then the only way that you kind of keep the ship afloat is if you really nail this draft and then, you know, retroactively end up nailing last year's draft with, with the Cleveland and the Gladney and the Dantzler improvements. Oh man, that is a tough one caller, but I, I think, it, I think 2022 scares me. I was going to point out, and I forgot it was on my list of things to say out loud, was that there are zero guards remaining in the free agent market who had positive wins above replacement by PFF's metrics. So good luck with that. But even a zero would be much better than where they were last year, which was way, I don't have Dakota Dozier's exact number, but it was probably about the worst that you could get. So that's another thing to consider too, is that like Delvin Tomlinson, even if it's just above average play and it's not superstar, it's a big jump in your overall value. And the same thing goes for whoever they get at guard. If they could get an average player there, that would be a big jump. Uh, If they could get a Josh Klein, who was about a zero player, it's still going to be a lot better than what they had. For 2022, I will guarantee their improvement index is down because they have either traded Kirk Cousins, which would take their ward down and replace it with whoever. If it's a draft pick from this year or next year, then it's not going to be projected as high as Kirk Cousins. So there's that that could do it. Or exactly what you laid out that, I mean, not only could they lose Harrison Smith and Anthony Barr next offseason, but also like how much longer is Adam Thielen going to be at the level that he is at right now? And this is why we've talked about the need to look at everything through a three-year type of lens, even if you think you're on the hot seat, is because there are just these other spots that have to be replaced long-term that instead they're kind of putting a lot of eggs in, you know, Dalvin Tomlinson and Patrick Peterson's baskets to fix it or Deron Harmon or whoever else that they signed James Carpenter I don't know like they're saying to those guys fix this right now patch that hole and then we'll deal with the other stuff later but dealing with the other stuff later kind of got them to where they are right now so before we wrap up we've made a list for the website and we have not drafted it yet but we're going to do that now we have ranked all 50 turns out there were 50 coincidentally signings by the Minnesota Vikings during the Mike Zimmer era. And we have ranked all of them right down to number 10. So we've got 10 left and we are going to count them down now. So I am going to let you pick number 10, if you like. Yep. I'm, I'm next in line. So real, real quickly, the parameters for our top 50 list, which I'm really excited to publish. Um, we didn't do every, like we didn't do futures deals. We didn't do XFL signings. We didn't do internal signings, but like guys who came from somewhere and like ended up playing for the Vikings and then, and then prominent camp cuts and, uh, it ended up being right at 50, but here are the 10 left, uh, Dalvin Tomlinson, Patrick Peterson, this year's signings, Kirk Cousins, Case Keenum, Latavius Murray, Riley Reef, Tom Johnson, Linval Joseph, Captain Munderland, and Terrence Newman. Those are the 10 eligible to be selected here. So starting with number 10, um, who's at the bottom of that list? I think I'm going to go with Patrick Peterson. I mean, we, ju- we just talked about how he's basically a net neutral player at this stage. And the more I think about it, the more I'm, I'm just I'm, – I'm a little bit concerned that like immediately after – the positive drug test, his play starts declining. And this was 
one of the more serious, you know, offenses because there was a masking agent involved. So it was more of an intentional cover-up. He didn't really even try to defend it. So I, I think it's Peterson for $10 million and one year and questionable, you know, talent left in the tank. That's my, my number 10. But you had to put him above people like Britton Colquitt. Um, that, yeah. you know, I think that that was fair. Also, we didn't really know what to do with Michael Pierce. So he's 13th on our list. But, you know, we're putting him ahead of number three wide receivers like Aldrick Robinson, Kai Forbath kicker. You know, he goes above those guys because he can have a bigger impact if it works out. But I agree that there's risk that goes along with it. I will pick with the number nine selection in our countdown here. Uh, Captain Munnerlin who I think was a good signing and played well for maybe a year for them. Um, I'm not sure that he was really all that good in 2015, um, 2016. He was pretty good, a good player and someone who you always could go to his locker and ask him a football question, a very likable guy for sure. Uh, but you know, a nickel corner who was probably in the middle of the league and Mike Zimmer got a little bit more out of him. So a good signing, very helpful player, but wasn't like a major impact player for the Vikings. All right. Number eight goes to me. I'm going to go with a, a locker room favorite. A lot of these guys are like awesome locker room dudes. Uh, Latavius Murray, who won the, the media good guy award, the Corey Stringer award. He was with them for two years. And, and honestly, it more so for the 2017 season. And he didn't even, run that well it was like 3.9 yards per attempt which is the lowest of his career but he did keep the the train on the tracks or the tay train on the tracks maybe i should say while dalvin cook was hurt in a season where they were very good and he was part of that that two-headed monster with mckinnon and just like a glue guy you know every every successful team needs people like that and murray i think kept you know a level head when cook went out and he battled through injury and uh, he was always available to talk and 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 then took a pay cut and played another another pretty good year so i'll go latavius hey everyone i want to tell you about our friends at scout logistics and i really do mean it when i say friends they are fans of purple insider over at scout logistics and since they reached out wanting to support this show i want to tell you about what they do Scout Logistics is just-in-time transportation for full tractor-trailer loads. And if you're wondering what that means exactly, well, if you own or work for a company that needs shipping solutions, they are the preferred carrier of Fortune 500 companies across North America. And we have quite a few of those in Minnesota, right? They can ship perishable, non-perishable, FTL or LTL, and they have on-time delivery rate of over 99%. So if you're like them and you enjoy the show and you have shipping needs, Check out ScoutLogistics.com or call 855-217-2688, extension 232, to connect with them directly to find out how Scout Logistics can minimize risk and overperform and go the extra mile for your company. I think that the way he handled that situation with them drafting Delvin Cook and then Delvin Cook being better than him right away, they bonded in the locker room and became very close as opposed to that being a contentious type of situation. And I think that speaks to Latavius Murray's personality and his sort of unique brand of leadership just by being himself. Um, he also won them a couple of games that year. You could argue that the, the game against Baltimore in 2017 where he had his breakout game and then there was a game against Atlanta where 
where I think they ran like eight straight times and seven of them were to Latavius Murray on a key touchdown drive. So he was big for them. Um, I agree with that, that it's not the biggest and best signing they've ever made, but uh, even for a running back who was talked about as the replacement for Adrian Peterson, but then, you know, eventually doesn't really have that, that job and then gets it back. Yeah. I agree. I think that was a really great signing for them, considering other running backs in that year busted, as I've made fun of Eddie Lacy several times on the show. Uh, Riley Reef is my number seven pick. Riley Reef gave them average tackle play for several years. And compared to some of the other tackles who signed that offseason, like Matt Khalil, that one really blew up. Uh, Russell Kung, who you've mentioned as a potential target now, though I don't think so. Um, but, he, but he didn't play that well after he got a big contract. So Riley Reef gave him every bit of the amount of money they paid for. And I think that people looked at him as somebody who was a captain and, and a pro and a you know, tough guy and all that sort of stuff. He did what he was supposed to do. Good, good signing. Um, this, this is going to get controversial now because there's one player on this top 50 list that is just so different from the rest and it's Kirk Cousins mm-hmm. yep. because of the cost that he's represented. And I, I don't think I want him to be in the top five because let, let's face it. He's been a 500 quarterback has won them a playoff game, but because of that salary, and the expectation, which is part of this ranking, like we're, we're, we're weighing all the factors. It's how much you cost, the expectations, what kind of value did you offer? I think Kirk Cousins fits right about here. Obviously, he's been a critical part of this organization for three years. Uh, you know, they're also kind of tied up with him right now for a fourth year. And then he's got the big cap hit in year five. And, and that's all part of the equation. This is a player that they chose to marry themselves to. So I'm not going to put him top five. I'm sinking him down to six. The reason that I would, I mean, I I would agree with you for where you put him that, I mean, we're not going to troll here and put him like 50th and say, look, he ruined their salary cap, Kirk. You're the worst signing ever. Of course, you're not going to do that. But, you know, part of it too that's in, uh, you know, my formula is kind of like, did it make sense to sign this player? And it did make sense at one time to sign Kirk Cousins. The extension really shouldn't be included here. And I think if they had let him, you know, play out his first contract and then move on from him right now and start kind of a rebuild type of thing, that maybe we wouldn't look at it so much as, wow, you really tied yourself to this quarterback and it made it very difficult for you guys to do anything, those first couple of years didn't really destroy them in the salary cap. I mean, when we talk about the players that they had to let go in 2018 and 2019, it's not a super long list. It's when it went from 2018 or 2019 to 2020, that's when it was problematic, but they always knew that that was kind of going to be the timeline. I would have said that the signing maybe was... Yeah, still about the same about the same place. I mean, that's the thing is like Kirk Cousins has done the job exactly the way Kirk Cousins does the job. Mm-hmm. And it was not good enough in Washington. It got these kind of results on a good team. And the team thought that it would be different here. And they didn't expect that they would regress in certain ways that were obvious that they were going to regress. So there's like the Kirk Cousins, the player versus Kirk Cousins, the team decision that you all kind of have to weigh with this, but I agree that he's not one of the five best of the Zimmer era. Yeah. And you know, 
I, I agree with you to some extent that we can't include like the second contract, but also we are judging a lot of these other players on what they became. Like one name that we haven't mentioned yet, because he's going to be in the top five is Terrence Newman. And the first time, you know, the first deal they signed him was one year, but it's about what he ended up being with the team, like a, a multi-year starter mentored their entire cornerback room, ended up being a coach in the organization. So I, I think you do have to look at it holistically. Like what, what, what came of this relationship? Like, did it open doors for like a long and flourishing relationship or did it open doors that like led you down a bad path? And, and for cousins, it might be the latter. Yeah, but we can't, I think we can't also put it super low. And I think this is why it's the right spot yeah. because he played well overall. The overall numbers point to a quarterback who played about in the top 12 to 15 at any given time. And that was what you should have expected from Kirk Cousins when you signed him. In 2019, he has a legitimately very, very good year. Um, last year was you know, troublesome to get your team to one and five and lead the league in interceptions and then come storming back. But, uh, you know, he gets you to the playoffs. He gets you a playoff win. He gets you a game winning drive. So his play has not been like Elvis Gerback in Baltimore where they signed him and it imploded on them. Uh, it's been more of kind of, eh, well, okay. You were competitive for all those years, but not really a true contender at any point with Kirk Cousins. Um, for number five, I'm going to go Delvin Tomlinson here because I think the Delvin Tomlinson deal will work out really well for them. Uh, I would not be surprised if Delvin Tomlinson ends up with a second deal, if he ends up playing here for a very long time. Uh, you know, based on his history, based on his personality, uh, he is a really good fit. And he's one of those guys that you would talk about in the draft as his ceiling is not going to be Aaron Donald, but man, is he consistent, man, is he like solidly good from year in to year out. He plays every game. Like I, I think I have um, high expectations for how this goes. And I think there's a good chance that it works out really well. Um, I agree with you on that. And, and I, t I also project forward, like this could end up being, you know, a, a multi-year coup for the Vikings. Like if, after one year, if it's really good, could end up being, you know, a four-year relationship if they extend him. So I like the potential with that. I, I'm starting to get conflicted now. We're at number four. Here are the four we have remaining. Case Keenum, Tom Johnson, Linval Joseph, Terrence Newman. I am torn between Newman and Johnson. Johnson, you know, they were both cheap. They were uh, Newman was, I think, three years. Uh, Johnson was five years. <sighs> well, I think I would go if I were you. I would go Tom Johnson because Terrence Newman switching positions in 2017 is truly an incredible feat. I mean, the guy's like 40 years old and played top half of the league nickel corner at, he, when he had never played there before. Mm -hmm. I mean, that also, like, what he meant to the locker room was a huge deal. He played a role in Xavier Rhodes becoming a great player. He played a role in Stefan Diggs becoming a great player. Like, I, I think that his value was probably quite a bit more. And there is Tom Johnson bias with me. When you sign a guy who had barely played for the Saints and then goes to the CFL is basically out of the league, and he becomes a 60% of the snaps guy, and a good one on the number one defense, that is an amazing signing. And so it's not to say that Tom Johnson offered more war than Kirk Cousins over these years, but 
That is an incredibly good signing, though. Yeah, it, it's probably the most impressive like evaluation of a player. And they, they make dozens of these every year that don't work out. So this is kind of like a one-in-a-hundred type signing where you get five years out of a player like that. Um, but Newman's impact down-to-down day to day, like during, during the week of preparation and practice probably was more impactful. And then the fact that he became a coach too, on top of it all, like that, that just adds a little bit of icing to the cake, I think. So I'll go Johnson number four. And I'll go Terrence Newman with number three, um, because I think he belongs just ahead. So now let's debate number two and one. So you've got the pick. Uh, I will say that for number one, I would pick Case Keenum. I think it's the best signing because you will never get that out of any backup quarterback almost ever. I mean, the Vikings have a history of every once in a while having Randall Cunningham pull this off. But how often do you have a team that loses its starting quarterback with the expectations that that starting quarterback was going to take them deep into the playoffs? And then you throw in some guy who was undrafted, who wasn't real good with Houston, who wasn't real good with St. Louis slash Los Angeles, off the trash heap for what, like three million bucks. And they did it only because Teddy Bridgewater had gotten hurt the year before and they couldn't trust Sean Hill for more than a game. So that's why they ended up having to spend a first round pick on Sam Bradford. And and Case Keenum comes from a guy that we were talking about whether he was going to even win the job as the backup to a 13-3 and season, a top-10 quarterback season by quarterback rating and by pro football focus grade, even though it was one year. It was, the, it was their best signing to me, hands down, unless you could change my mind. So are you reading from, uh, from the Making of a Miracle book right now, or was that just extemporaneous? <laughs> I, did, I did write the book, so yes, I do remember all of it. Uh, and you can get that at Amazon.com. Just type in Making of a Miracle, and you can buy it. Oh, I'm book. glad I brought that up. Yeah, that, was you who, that was you who wrote it. Oh, I forgot that. Was, um, yeah. uh, well, I wish I could be more contrarian, but I, I think it was pretty clear in my mind from the second we hatched this idea that Case Keenan was going to be the number one free agent signing of the era. It, there's really no, I mean, how could I put a, a nose tackle as good as Linval Joseph was? How can I put him above the guy that led you to the NFC championship game out of nowhere, out of absolute obscurity? We were all like chuckling to each other. Like, like Case Keenan was basically a meme in like the preseason of 2017. He wasn't that impressive. Nobody thought he was going to be relevant, and he turns out to to do what he did and then provide that moment in the Miracle Game. He's number one, and um, so I guess my official pick is Linval Joseph at number two, and it sounds like we're ripping on Joseph here, but we're not. He was amazing. You know, he spent six years with the organization, and I'd say for four of them, might have been the best nose tackle, you know, in football or at least yep. top three. Uh, especially 2015, 16, 17, the way that he could like get penetration and stop the run and just be like a force of nature was really fun to watch for those that appreciate the, the nuances of football. 
And Delvin Tomlinson talked about Linval Joseph in his opening press conference as being basically the gold standard for a nose tackle for the way that he had played, like you said, in those top years. His 2017 season is as good as I have ever seen a nose tackle play. So uh, great signing for a guy that most people maybe didn't hear of. And I think they're trying to repeat that with Delvin Tomlinson. So the whole list, you can go to purpleinsider.substack.com and you can find the whole list of 50 there. Steven Ridley is ahead of Michael Floyd because of kombucha gate um, that that's the tease i'm going to give you and uh we will end there so we'll talk again tomorrow when we record the friday roundtable sam can't wait we got ben gessling on that'll be a lot of fun he's a uh contractual salary cap wizard he'll give us all his wisdom